champion mindset. And yeah. that's why people couldn't stand Michael Jordan. Because they yeah. were like, they, they're like, bro, we can't be you. And he's like, well, I don't care. Try your hardest to be the best you. Not only is change needed, listen, change is inevitable. It's inevitable. So how have you been, bro? Been pretty good. How about you? Doing good, man. You look clean. You look sharp. You too. You too. Is that um I know the little like squiggle is a specific Italian thing, right? It's the gorny, yeah. Gorny, that's right. Correct. It's an um, Italian good luck charm. That's right. Uh is is the charm behind it anything in particular? Uh Saint uh Saint Michael, the Archangel okay. nice. on a medallion. Right. Yeah. Yeah, nice. Mm-hmm. It's my favorite of the angels were you raised um with like i was raised catholic i made all my sacraments up to confirmation obviously haven't done matrimony yet uh probably we were talking about that earlier today actually like will you you know you dating an italian woman now have you considered that like possibly marrying into the catholic church right i mean and my take on it is even if i don't wholeheartedly agree with everything the catholic church is doing and involved in today Mm -hmm. the beauty and the tradition and the cultural uh, cultural tradition, if you will, is, is the more attractive part to me about it. And I ultimately think I will, and I'll probably raise my kids Catholic. Cause again, regardless, I feel like it really builds a great foreground for good morals and, right. and good problem solving. And when you start asking the right questions and figuring out more and it, it ends up leading you to figure out a lot about the world. Right. And that's, we talked about that earlier, how Christianity is a, out of all the religions, it has one of the most truth seeking, like foundational underpinnings that guides Christians in their day-to-day truth-seeking whenever they live their lives. However, it also creates a sense of self-righteousness for a lot of people. And that's when you see a lot of Christian, you know, like Bible belt and like, you know, throwing proverbs at you and, and, you know, that's their truth and you can't tell them anything and they're not, you know, they're not even seeking truth anymore. They're just seeking their truth. And that's when it becomes a problem because then you start blinding the lines of real what's best for people as we evolve and we figure more things out, you know, what of the old things need to be redacted furthermore. Yeah. That, those hypocritical underpinnings that need to be redacted are, we're only really discovering those within the past couple hundred years. So it's no wonder we're still in that transition period. Absolutely. I mean, yeah, it's not. Yeah. And to raise your kids Christian, I think at least will give them a solid foundation, a structural foundation to base their ethical uh, values Mm -hmm. because most people aren't religious. They don't have that structure, which means they don't have that objective ethical system in place to give them meaning in their life, which we kind of talk, we talk about this all the time, but we talked about in the podcast, I think two podcasts ago which is why suicide and depression is so rampant nowadays because mm-hmm. people don't have that structure in place to no, give them tribe, meaning. Yeah. Right. And man, <clears throat> you talk about me having like an Italian girlfriend. That was one of the biggest conversations her and I had to have, which was me coming from a place of nearly no culture, especially being an, an American A, but being an American with two separate distinct cultural predispositions in both black and white. And again, because America's only a couple hundred years old, those cultural di- traditions were usually based off of the homeland from which they stemmed. And for our enslaved African-Americans, they had to base their culture off of who? Their white owners, essentially. And you can get into like the redneck culture and all this other stuff with the black community without going there, right? No, I literally just saw a video. Uh, can't think of the guy's name. Thomas Soul. Yes. And he was talking about the, the, the foundation of modern African-American culture and how it's the same as literally the poverty of the, the white Southerners as well at that time. And it was the, the redneck culture. Yeah. Yeah. Essentially. So, right. And that redneck culture doesn't necessarily come from the white Southerners. It came it's from, from poverty. 
it isn't like an American thing. It came, it was taken from like Scotland, Scotland believe, and like, yeah. yeah, like Northern England. Like, and so when those traditions, those poor white traditions, we'll call them, were brought over to America, and then the class of people, the slaves, once they were free, had to adopt a culture, and they weren't, in, they weren't liberated slaves who adopted rich white culture. Right. Yeah, they only, they yeah. adopted the only culture they knew, which was that poor redneck culture, right? Exactly. And so from the white culture, I don't have the, let's just say I have a predominantly Scottish-Irish background, 25% mm -hmm. Scottish-Irish background from my mom's side. My mom didn't raise us, and nor did she grow up, grow up on Scottish-Irish ideals, traditional ideals. Like, she didn't grow up on traditional Irish-Scottish ideals, meaning what culture she's then going to pass on to us. Right. I mean, it's just going to be another regurgitated American, you know, whatever she Legit. was. It's all based on what they had before. Right. But what they had before, for the most part, was similar to what you experience or what my girlfriend experiences, which is that coming from a place of true substantiated culture that has generational implications. Absolutely. Like her knowing her grandparents and the village in Sicily they were from is starkly different than me not even not even being able to meet my grandparents. Exactly. And then understanding the cultural foundation from which that stems, like me and her had to under, had to come to a conclusion that you and I talked about way back in the day, where sometimes it's just easier to have a significant other who shares the same foundational moral values as you do, which usually in that cultural subsect is also a religious foundation. Sure. Like Catholicism. Um, but then you go like to my boy, Cody, who we had a podcast not too long last week. And Cody's mom was raised Buddhist and his dad was raised Catholic. And when they got together, his mom had to adopt Catholicism after already having been raised as a Buddhist. Which is crazy. Right. That's a wild, so, yeah. So they shared somewhat of a similar cultural predisposition, but not the same religious predisposition. Sure. Um, so yeah, for you being able to raise your kids or even wanting to raise your kids with that cultural predisposition, not necessarily under the guise of being an ardent Catholic, but more so under the guise of maintaining generational tradition. That, that makes sense. More so. I mean, even still though, I like the basic, like at the root of Catholicism is great intention and good moral grounds right. to, to base your life upon. Like most and, in all religions. And even as a 10 year, 12 year old, you know, you know, just playing with my thumbs and mass waiting for it to get out. Is it almost done? You know, waiting, counting down how many times I got to kneel till it's over to like actually, you know, going out into the world and being able to formulate my own opinions on things that I was, you know, and hammered into on to think one way about, and then taking what I know from that, going to a public school, not a Catholic school right. and getting mixed in with all different types of walks of life. It really gave me, a, I feel like a well-rounded experience. And I got to meet a lot of different people from different situations with having that strict Catholic, like foreground right, or background, excuse me. Right. Legit. When did you do your confirmation? What age? 16. Right. Okay. Is it usually 16? I mean, you could technically get, I mean, if you like are, you know, new to Catholic church and you're an adult, I mean, obviously people get, get confirmed, confirmed who are right. 30s. You, right. There's no limit. I, from a, if you were if born, born into Catholic, it. baptized, you know, as a baby, you make your first communion when you're like second, third grade, okay. first confession, first communion. Uh, then you take a break on sacraments till about 15 or 16, you make your confirmation, which yeah. is like confirming now you've, you know, either went to Catholic school or for my case, Sunday school, and like you had to do a retreat, um, and just saying, you know, confirming your, your Catholic and your Catholicism, your faith and everything. Right. It's nearly the, 
Catholic equivalent of like a bar mitzvah. Exactly. Right. The coming to terms of a, Becoming not only a man, a man of but, God. I was going to say, but a man of God, literally kind of the stuff we talked about, right? Exactly. Like legit, it's not only being an adult and being a, a man, but it's about understanding you're not a God and you're not perfect and you're not immortal. And when you go out into the real world against nature, you better maintain a level of humility. Otherwise, your generation won't last. Your legacy won't last. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, you want to talk any like Marcus Aurelius uh, meditations or anything? Like any principles from that? Have you read it? Um, it's been a minute <laughs> since or I like, read have it. Have you actually read it all the way through? No. Right. Not like Fred. I've, I've really watched and read like synopsis of it and like right. the basic fundamental teachings. But yeah, I know you're well versed in it. Do you know that it's essentially just like a collection of his writings? It's not necessarily, he didn't write it with in the intention of it being yeah, a book. Yeah, it wasn't like an organized okay, book. Good, right. Yeah, it, it was, was literally like, his, just like someone took all your notebooks upstairs literally. and compiled them into the best hits volume. You know, <laughs> right. <laughs> Sometimes I write it as if that were to happen. <laughs> I know what you, I know. <laughs> Justin literally goes, I feel like sometimes the way you make your notes is just in case like they were going to get lost in time and somebody discovered them. <laughs> literally. That's the best analysis I've heard. <laughs> right. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, I think when Marcus Aurelius, do you know around the time he existed? No, oh, boy. Um, it's, it's AD though, right? Is it like 1600 AD or no way or 600? No. What? Like, uh, I think 140 or 200 at the latest. I think it's like 140. Okay. Right after, like, maybe less than 100 years after the Colosseum was built. Okay. Yeah. You know what the Colosseum was built by? The Roman Catholic Empire. (laughs) (laughs) Well, technically. Yeah. Because the people who constructed the Colosseum were essentially the forebearers of what Christianity would become, which was the Flavian family, the Flavian dynasty. Yes. Yeah, remember Josephus Flavius and all that. Yeah. But Marcus Aurelius, around only a couple years, hundred, less than 200 years after Jesus, let's say, he was one of the few literate humans who even had access to document his thoughts. Okay. So it stood as a testament for what a hyper-intellectual, especially a man in a position of power and prestige, would document if they were like thinking deep on just reality and on the, and, and on the precepts of just what it means to exist as a human. Right. And hearing that from not only like a person of power and prestige, but to hear that from somebody who was as hyper-intellectual as he seemed to have been, it's eye-opening because of how, how timeless it is relative to the, to the implications of those messages today. That's really the big takeaway is like, you still got people on YouTube to this day posting their thoughts on Marcus Aurelius' meditation. So, I mean, for something that stands the test of time, as long as the Bible almost, right. I mean, that's saying a lot. Do you like read a lot, honestly, or do you do more? I personally watch a lot of lectures. So there's a book called Thinking Fast and Slow by Daniel Kahneman, which is like, yeah, yeah. which is honestly a book that like economists usually read, but it's like a pretty dope book. It's a book that gives you fundamental, I say fundamental a lot. It gives you base principles on how how to see the world how to see the world in just two simplistic point of views, which is a fast way and a slow way. So like in that book, I didn't read that book all the way through, but I listened to Daniel Kahneman for two and a half hours do give a summary over the book. I mean, and I listened to like clips, you know, of, I've listened to Jordan Peterson lectures and seminars. 
lately actually i've been i've been watching like these mit uh lectures like on poker uh, modern poker theory and things mm, like that okay um which is actually really dope that mit puts a lot of stuff on youtube now i mean Dude. really autodidact i mean holds more weight than ever i mean you really the the resources are there and they i mean who's gonna take advantage of them who's gonna take advantage of them it's like when when people in the east figured out there was gold in the west it's like who's gonna have the faith to actually traverse across the united states to find that gold right and those who did some of them made out pretty damn good. They struck gold. Or struck, yeah, that too. Most of them yeah, struggled. You can say or struck gold. Or, or is it like the or of it, right? Anyway. The or, yeah. I just think of RuneScape, mining yeah. ores all day on RuneScape. Did you play RuneScape? Oh, yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah, back in the day, Did absolutely. Did you like skill cape level or no? At one point, I was grinding on it for a minute. And then um, I feel like we got a new house computer, like the old uh, one crack. And like... I forget back then if I like forgot the passwords or, but yeah, I end up losing everything. Right. Don't you still have your original account? No, I made a new one when I was homeless. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> I was playing that like on some degenerate shit for the wa- longest, like for a while. On your phone or like computer? No, on my phone and on the computer. But oh, like man. I had a little laptop, I had a wireless mouse. And when I would come home after, like I did oddball jobs, like I did just manual labor. Yeah. And my dad, went to a bar with this dude who owned his own contracting company. And I would just, I was a second hand. I would help him install windows. I would help him paint right, houses. That, yeah, yeah. Do all that shit. I remember that fucking 600 pound window? window yeah. Um, but yeah, I was doing oddball jobs and like the 600 pound window one. I get home, I immediately log on to RuneScape. <laughs> That's all I would do. And while I was at the job, I'd be on RuneScape mobile and I'd be grinding like my strength XP at sand crabs and stuff. <laughs> the sand crabs, yeah. yeah. That's awesome. What were we talking about before we got on RuneScape? Uh, lectures and that's right. Um, you want to talk about yeah the democratization of knowledge is what it is. Okay, yeah, right. Uh, in the second book I just finished writing, I legit finished writing it last like two weeks ago. Mm-hmm. Self sustained thinking, like still SST, but the thinking aspect of what you have to sustain before you can really maintain change in your physical, and that maintaining change in your physical starts with what mental, mental absolutely. Right? I talk about in self sustained thinking in chapter one. Like, how do we fail? And it talks about how we fail. And the biggest reason we fail is we don't realize how lucky we are to even be literate because the democratization of knowledge, which just means knowledge being free to pretty much anybody once the printing press was made, which was nearly 1,200 years after Marcus Aurelius, yeah. 1,200 years, years yeah. after Marcus Aurelius, were people able to finally read the Bible for themselves. And then it wasn't until another 600 years where we finally have the internet and we finally are able to have true knowledge democratized through being able to even listen to lectures on YouTube from MIT. Correct. But also, ironically, in the age of having the most information at our fingertips that we can record, I mean, pre-Library Alexandria, who knows what we had figured out. Right. But now, modern day, all this age of information, and there's more misinformation than there is accurate. And that's the real issue with today is that it's so easy to be sold on this, on, you know, half clickbait, half truths right. and whatever sells, you know, in the moment and it's all instant gratification, click, 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 gimme, 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 add, add, add. And it's finding the truth, like finding the, the sort sifting through all the layers of, of BS and, and bias and, you know, 
narratives that were predispositioned to be a certain way, you know, that's the challenge in today's day and age is finding true unbiased journalism and, and information. Dude, I, again, I say it in chapter one, shortly after I talk about the democratization, the democratization of knowledge about how the real skill comes from learning how to discern worthy, incredible information from non Mm -hmm. learning how to discern the subjective misinterpretations of what would otherwise be objective data. Correct. Like that's the hardest part. And that's where I talk about there being three psychic clogs in our mind that stop us from reaching that point. And they're just three varying forms of cognitive dissonance. And whenever you get approached with new information, it's like, how, how much are you willing to challenge your predisposed beliefs to actually find the truth? But finding the truth whenever the information is leading you astray is sometimes hard. And I get it. And that goes back to the religion and then the truth, truth seeking religion and same thing. I mean, it it all ties together, you know, Uh, and that's, it's just something that human beings like, there is not really a recipe for perfection on that. And there's always going to be entities that, you know, abuse that ability to feed people that information. Especially entities of power. Well, of course. Yeah. yeah I mean, those it, are, I mean, that, those are the entities that are doing correct. it. Correct. Yeah. I mean, the biggest powers, the, the global, you know, country, the, the powers that be. So that's why the Catholic church was so corrupt for so long. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, man. It's just, it's fucked up because absolute power corrupts absolutely. And there's no getting over that. Mm-mm. But what you can do is shine a light on every single thing that's out there with the technology like we have today, where your integrity speaks for itself. Correct. If you're a degenerate, usually it's getting captured on camera to where at least your degeneracy is going to be publicized. Yeah. Or able to be found if, right. you know, easy enough. And again, at, I think it was at the end of chapter two, maybe I talk about how in the end, if you do do degenerate shit and you want to live your life like a degenerate, technically you're helping out a lot of people. Because you're showing them what not to do. Right. So you can live your life as a degenerate. That's fine. But just know deep down, the only person you're actually hurting is yourself because deep, deep, deep down, you're helping the rest of the world by showing us what not to do and what not to be. Correct. So then the rest of the world doesn't have to endure the same level of, let's say, degenerate experiences and lessons you had to endure they can learn it just by witnessing your complacent degeneracy, especially when it's willful complacency. Absolutely. Uh, the willful part's the big thing. Dude, and my, I literally say, whenever I, did, whenever I make claim to that in the book, I say key word and italicized willfully. Willful. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Because that's what it is. It's the willful succumbing yeah, to degeneracy. You know, yeah, no one's going to be like, oh, that's, you know, if someone really just does get screwed on life's in the, the story of Job. Yeah. I mean, yeah, from back then to now, I mean, there's, there's circumstances, yeah, it's not necessarily that person's doing or anything they can control at, initially anyway. But, right. I mean, you know, there's ways. Again, though, it's like you don't have to necessarily be the degenerate or have degenerates in your family in order to learn from them. Because back in the day, stories like the story of Job acted as that heuristic device for people to learn that life lesson from. Because mm-hmm. what happened to Job? Lost everything. But through maintaining... His uh, faith in God, he was able to have everything back sevenfold. And what's hilarious is nearly the exact verbiage and the exact cadence of the, of the poem and the story itself of Job mm-hmm. is found, I'm talking grammatically near verbatim, in a Sumerian story called A Man and His God. 
And the Sumerian story is called A Man and His God. The opening line is, a man must maintain a faith with his God. And that is the exact moral of the story with Job, right. is a man maintaining his faith with God. And in that same Sumerian story, the story of a man and his God maintaining faith with his God, he is challenged, the God who essentially is being worshipped by this man, he's just a nameless man. They don't give him a name either, this nameless man. They say he's blessed with a demon, and the demon essentially is with him in a negative sense, all the way until the final act of him losing his family, losing all of his possessions, losing everything, when he finally still says, it's fine, I still believe in God. So it's showing you that in good and bad times, it's, yeah. And the story was so deep to the Sumerians that its wisdom was able to bleed through all the way until you get to the Old Testament through Judaism and the Abrahamic tradition where it talks about the story of Job. And when you get to that story of Job, it's like, hmm, even if this is a near copy of an older story from Sumerian times, which the Sumerians were in that same region as the Le- in the Levant anyway, so it makes sense why those stories all coincide. It's like, I should think less about it being a copycat story and more about it, the importance of that lesson and narrative for them to repeat it across all the cultures. like The worthiness of it as a story to be copied is what you should take away from it. Instead of having to actually experience losing your family, experience having your entire possessions, your, the entirety of your possessions and your property destroyed. Yeah, I mean, for instance, my father tried to teach me so many lessons he learned from mistakes he had made throughout his life and preached them to me. And a lot of them I didn't have to go make myself because it was instilled in me that that's just not something I'm going to do. Right. On the other hand. There's a bunch of them that I still had to go learn for myself because, you know, I wanted to be stubborn. I know everything when I'm 21 years old. You think, you know, I got the world figured out all of a sudden. Yeah. Who wouldn't, though? Who would have fought at that? Everybody you know? does. Everybody does. Mm-hmm. That's the point of being an imperfect human. It's just being able to recognize, learn, and grow from it. That's the difference. Man. In times where survival of the fittest is more explicit, when people literally have to face death nearly every day. There's a more blatant transfer of that wisdom of what to do and what not to do, right? Uh, Absolutely, because, I mean, my dad grew up poor, poor. I mean, with five sisters, he was the oldest. I mean, they didn't have barely enough food to feed all those kids most of the times. And, I mean, he was third generation. My mom, yeah, they're both third generation. So, I mean, their grandparents came off the boat. And, you know, off the boat, they were poor. I mean, poor immigrants in the North End. I mean, just like most cities there's always the times when the north end it seems like boston new york i mean everywhere but they were you know they had to go do longshoreman jobs and the labor jobs and get their their hands dirty work hard mm-hmm. and that instills like a blood like a genetic almost carry on of appreciation and everything so even though i never had to worry where my next meal was from actually probably the reason why i got so big was because my parents fear of net of running out of food was they try to capitalize so much on that not ever being an issue for their children. Right. It never was. And I think that's truly, that's a lot, it says a lot about the psychology of, of why, you know, I think I turned out the way I did. Right. But it's also why I kind of feel like I have an older soul and everything for my dad, especially because my dad was so much older when he had, when I was born. Exactly. I think that makes a big difference too. When children are having children. I mean, if I had a kid at 22, I mean, like, what am I going to teach this kid yet? Dang. Cause I thought I had it figured out at 22 and I sure the hell did not. Man. So, I mean, it's, it's scary. Like, I mean, there's pros and cons to young birth, you know, to both, but 
<sighs> what was the average age of the Greek man when he got married in 200 BCE? I believe you told me this. I think it was like 36. Anywhere between 30 and 35. Okay. Yeah. What was the average age of the Greek woman at the same time? 13 to 15. So that should tell you right there that for all of human history, it, it was men raising children. Correct. It wasn't children raising children. Exactly. And we just live in such comfort nowadays where we have the luxury for children to raise children. Where Because you don't have to go hunt and gather and there's not these bigger things out there to worry about. So like, yeah, you know what? I could have a kid. I got money. I got a good job. I got a girlfriend. Because society provides you that provision. Correct. Not some actual man or some adult. Right. Society and the provision. Or even a tribe, for instance. It's like, it's just, yeah. Because think about it. The precept in the Bible of be kind to thy neighbor was spoken under the presupposition that you knew your neighbor. Most some people don't know their families. I mean, they, I mean, yeah. So that's and that ties full back into why I think there is the necessity for there to be some structure in your life. Absolutely. And it doesn't have to be a, an ardent, already founded religious foundation. What's funny is Nietzsche back in the day when he created uh, also Sprach Zarathustra, thus spoke Zarathustra, which was the book in which he said God is dead and we have killed him. Right. The idea of that and when he made that claim, it was under the assumption that God's dead because science has pretty much articulated the hypocritical underpinnings of not only Christianity, but all of religion fundamentally. Mm -hmm. And as a result, humans have to transcend essentially into gods themselves and will have to create their own moral values because they're not going to be, they're they're not believing in the afterlife anymore. Like no one, I heard someone talk about this recently too on some big thing, but like when the most of the, when most, like that was the thing that kept everybody in check in the ancient day. That's why the Catholic church was able to rule the world like they were, because there's a fear of internal suffering for not abiding by the rules. The entire foundation of the old Testament is a fear of God. Correct. Yeah, God-fearing Christians. Yes. Exactly, keep going. Catholics. And so now that, you know, it's like, I ain't scared. Like there's, it's like, you know, the parent, you know, and there's no authority anymore. So like I can do whatever in the society of no real, like, you know, natural consequences. No one's going to be born with the self-discipline and control to handle the temptations and everything that comes with this life and society that we have today. Especially in the 21st century. Especially now more than ever, but let alone, yeah. Let alone back then, right. But yeah, now more than ever. And so if every, with the majority of population doesn't see a reason to have those moral structures or, or, or foundations, you start getting into pretty scary water uh, as to where people's minds go and the masses. And that's why I think we see a lot of these things we see today. Rampant depression, suicide and everything of the likes. Just in problems with, yeah, people just having problems with each other. I mean, oh man. Yeah. The, you talking about there being no middle ground. Well, there is middle ground, but they don't want you to believe that there's, we can agree to disagree anymore because it doesn't make money. Exactly. They want you one way or the other. And that's just simply not what we are. (laughs) That's why, to be honest though, like I would be better off if we started just talking about like the Will Smith controversy, right? Because deep down. Because that's what people are clicking on right now. Dude, my favorite quote is average people talk about people and great minds discuss ideas. Yeah. And all we ever talk about here 
is ideas for the most part. In our personal lives, that's all we really talk about, right? Yeah, I mean, I don't ever come to you like, hey, look at this tweet. You know? Right, exactly. <laughs> never. We never talk about what Jackson Mahomes is doing uh, on TikTok. Yeah, right. You know that's, what I'm saying? It's irrelevant. It's like at that point, truly, what are you not only absorbing and, and what information and stimuli are you taking in, but what are you actually putting value in at the end of the day? Yeah what, yeah, what are you taking away from it? And if it's worthless stuff, then you can't be taking anything good from it. There's a reason why the, I don't mean to keep interrupting you, my no, bad. No, There's no. There's a no. reason why, though, mine and Ollie's debate has one of the most, the heated, friendly debate has one of the most, it's one of the most viewed because videos. It's conflict. It's immediate conflict from the click. You know, you're getting conflict, which it's, right. it's a great video. It's a great discussion. Absolutely. And, but you didn't even really like sugarcoat that or anything. I mean, it, it, it is what it was. Um, but that's conflict always sells. I just wish this old man, it, it will. I think it really will one day because there are more and more people that are waking up and cr that don't have someone like you and me to talk to about. Uh, I mean, there's no, you can't tell me that, a lot of other people our age at least have the similar thoughts that oh, we do, 100%. but they also aren't around people who openly talk about this stuff. Right. So like if they're, if you're surrounding yourself with all modern age kids, all focused on Instagram, TikTok, and likes and social status, and that's it. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's all they're going to talk about. And, right. and, and that's where birds of a feather flock together. You, you do have to surround yourself with people that are going to challenge you, hold you accountable. Mm -hmm. Um, and just, break pause like this is this is literally therapeutic just having these open right. discussions and everything and i think more and more we're seeing people start to crave that in our generation and i think that's why like you know the joe rogan like these podcasts are getting big because people don't get to have these conversations day to day like what used to be all you would do exactly and there's so much bs shoved down everyone's throat everywhere every day that there's like no escape from it and to have something authentic is just refreshing it's very refreshing right. absolutely so Maybe not tomorrow. We won't we won't go viral right away. But I think there will be a time in the near future where this type of content supersedes all the phony. Because how many more people can do the same thing on TikTok and get? I mean, how how long can it really go? In my opinion, I mean, until right, people are going to crave. There's either going to be a great awakening, or there's going to be mass chaos. You know what I mean? One or the other. I, I agree with you. And again, I we don't do this for the virality of it. We don't do it for the views. We do it because of the therapeutic aspect of it, like you're talking about. Because this, the reason why it's the post workout podcast is because it's an extension of what we talk about during the doing. workout. Exactly. You know what I mean? Exactly. Jesse even made note of that in mine. His his and Tyler's podcast is how this acts as nearly a journaling platform for him to keep himself accountable whenever he's feeling low and he'll just go back and rewatch himself preaching some savage shit. I've done that too. Cause like, yeah, cause you know, it's when you, when you get on here and you, and you do have a conversation like this. And even if I don't go back to the video, I will recollect on a conversation I've had with you. I'm like, honestly, come on, man. Like, you, you know, you're smarter than this. You know, you're better than this. Don't, don't, <laughs> don't choose to look the other way just cause it's convenient right, right. now. Thank be accountable, hold yourself accountable. And that's something I struggle with still, we of all course, do. but, uh, I feel like it's something I've gotten a lot better with. And would it, would it surprise you if every human struggles with that? I mean, no, I know everyone does, but I also don't think everyone acknowledges that they struggle with yeah. it. I think they didn't want to acknowledge that they have a problem with it. So the, the, when I was talking about the willfully 
com- right. being complacent, that's exactly what it is. Once you acknowledge it, or when you have someone in your life that helps you acknowledge Calls you it, out. Yeah. that's the opening of Pandora's box. And if you choose to shut it and not look, then you are willfully being ignorant. And you can't unclose the box or unbite from that fruit. No, you could try to shove it in the closet. You could try to do whatever you want, but it's going to come out. And it's going to, whatever it takes, it's only going to get uglier the more and the more. The longer you uh, postpone it. Correct. Right. Correct. I know you said you like raise your kids Catholic or at least like under the cultural guise of what that offers. But like, what will you, what will you answer to them if they ask you like, dad, but do you believe in God? Well, so that's kind of how I was raised too. Cause like my mom took us to church every day. My dad was an altar boy from the age of seven or eight years old till probably like 13, 14, at least uh Holy Rosary. And, you know, and he was, I mean, he went to Catholic school except for high school, but by the time he had me, his standing with the Catholic church was not, you know, good. So he didn't really, he'd never went to church. I would ask him questions all the time, you know, like, why, well, you know, I asked father this question. He said, come home, ask you, you know, and things like that. Like, uh, and he even told me a story. He asked, he remember when he was in uh, grade school, Catholic school, he asked the priest when they were first going over the Adam and Eve story, he was like third, third or fourth grade. He goes, father, he goes, I, I just don't get it. He goes, so if it was just Adam and Eve, and they had the first kid ever. And then the second kid ever, he goes, you know, does that mean that their kid he starts asking those questions? The father goes, go home and ask your dad that one. You wouldn't answer him. So I mean, like, the, like it doesn't take long when you start asking, because I was a very, I was a kid just to ask questions. I, I love soaking up knowledge at a young age. And I wanted to know everything about everything that I was interested in. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I mean, as I figured out along the way, like there's going to be thing like, well, that's just where the faith comes in, right. kid. You know, that's where you got to trust God, you know, trust the scripture, trust your teachings. I'm like, oh, yeah, OK. I mean, maybe, but <laughs> that wasn't enough for me. And after I did my confirmation, I did that mostly to make my parents happy at the time. Right. Um, I mean, got a little payday out of the deal. But I mean, it's that's that's one thing all the kids, you know, same thing with vomits, bar everything. That's what it's all really about. Yeah. Uh, but I mean, the, the, the Catholic quinceanera, keep going. Right. Uh, <laughs> I feel like, yeah, after that age of 16 and 17 though, I, you know, I came to a point where like, okay, I'm going to take what I really like as like the moral foundations and, and rules to live by for this without such literal, and it sounds like I'm almost fitting it to be convenient for me, but I mean, fitting it to be realistic more or less, I guess, or more substantiating with modern information versus ancient scriptures that we're talking about 2000 years later. I mean, we evolve, things evolve going, following like the church devoutly. Like I don't get that fulfillment going to Sunday mass anymore. I mean, the father could have a great homily. Like at that funeral I went to the other day, that was a really good homily. And that father was very well-spoken and I like what they have to say about that. And they keep it real, you know, but I've heard all the scriptures before all the readings and everything. And you've been to mass 500 times, you know, a thousand times, whatever. It's just, like now I get that same fulfillment and everything with my day-to-day structure of waking up early, go to the gym, taking care of myself on that level. And then knowing how to be good to my neighbors and, and people every day, not being so impulsive and, and giving into every temptation and everything in front of me, not necessarily because I'm fearing God, like, and smiting me down and sending me to hell, but just because like, 
we're all really one. And if everyone's good to everyone in theory, I mean, that's what it's all about is be good. To, if you're good to yourself and good to your neighbor, then everybody should be good. I love that. That was, dude, I have a million things I want to ask you from that. The first thing being, what if I told you in the scripture as an ordained minister, I have to know this, but what if I were to tell you that in the scripture or there is scripture that explicitly articulates everyone's relationship with God is personal, meaning everyone is going to be imperfect in their adherence to their religious moral code. Sure. Some people will follow, be kind to thy neighbor more than they will do not covet with the neighbor's wife. Right. right. You know what I'm saying? I like, see you. Smile at you while they're you know, right. going next you know door. Yeah. And that's why like deep, deep, deep down, it's better to at least know that word in the 21st century than to completely dismiss it because then you actually don't feel bad about coveting thy neighbor's wife and doing all this sinful Sodom and Gomorrah like shit. And the whole point of having the system in place is to actually give you some sort of feeling of yin to the yang of what's actually good and bad for you. Sleeping with your neighbor's wife isn't good for you. Sodom and Gomorrah living in sin isn't good for you. But knowing about its existence is. Because then you at least know how to identify the temptation so you can then choose wisely. Exactly. That's exactly what I was Right, 100%. At. I vaguely remember, yeah, like, Father, I'm, I'm sure I've been taught that several different times throughout schooling right. and everything, but yeah. So second thing I want to ask is, do you see, though, though you may not need to recurringly, as in every Sunday, go to church and get that reminder of your um, holistic potential? Do you see there being a benefit in getting a weekly reminder? For a lot of people, totally. I don't see anything wrong with it. For me, like three times a year, you know, funerals, weddings, and mm -hmm. like Christmas or something, that's all. That's the only reminders I need. Right. I mean, that's for me. I think some people would get, some people, you know, maybe extra cling on to that like tribal belonging weekly routine you just don't need it as much as they do. I don't need that weekly commitment and like group of people. Like right. I have you, I have, I'm lucky and blessed enough to have a great family and friends surrounding me where I could really talk to several people about really anything I could ever want to. Even with my father being gone, I still feel that I have several, like I have, I have a lot of relationships that I could get anything I need to off my chest and get what I trust is very good advice and real advice. Cause that's my point is having some outlet of decompression. You need something. Yeah, absolutely. You can't have nothing right now, whether or not everybody's going to get it from Sunday service right. or, you know, not eating fish or I mean, not eating meat on Friday or right. whatever, you know, whatever floats your boat and gets you what you need out of it. That's fine. I don't have a problem with any of it. I don't think they should abolish any of, of it, right. but I mean, for me personally, I did. I don't get it. Like, I don't get that out of it okay. that much. Sure. But I do. I can't appreciate a great, like, a good, a good priest giving a good mass, a good, good reading, a good talk. Like, I, I'm, I'm always about that. Nice. Okay. Yeah, man. I just, I truly think having a system in place, especially weekly, to remind you of. To just reground you. That's all it is. It's the regrounding. And for me, like here every Wednesday at SST, I mean, that's what gets those principles from the mental all the way to like the jab technique I'm throwing every other day at the gym when I'm on my own comes from my grounding Wednesday service here at SST, <laughs> if you will. I mean, jam up because 
You know, whether we're talking about a situation with a girl, a situation with something going on at home, uh, you know, everything we've ever talked about on an intimate, personal level, I take something very good away from it every week. And on top of that, the physical grounding and and humbling. And when I'm feeling like I got my stuff together and I'm I'm getting just a little ego, just a little bit of ego, I come here, I get humbled real quick. And that's how it's you need to be humbled and you need everybody needs to be grounded. And that's it's a very good way to put it. Some people, Sunday church is what grounds them. Right. And if that's what it does, then great. Right. But um having something is what matters. Something's what matters. something healthy and positive, yeah. Right. Well, I talked to one of one of my clients who's also one of my best friends. We talk about how for him, before he had a similar outlet of decompression when he would come in here, and now for him, it's pretty self-sustained where he goes to the gym on his own, and he only comes here when he needs to, Sure, whenever he feels like he needs to, but really at that point, it's a want because of how sustained he really is. For him, you're right. He would find outlets that weren't as healthy. Same here. Like drinking. All the time. But it's even in the way they talk to themselves on the daily. It's even in ways that they, uh, what, in, what information and stimuli they're absorbing. Absolutely. Are they absorbing the, the bullshit information about people and events, or are they actually trying to- Are they growing? Grow their mind with some idea-based stimuli. Right. Or is it all just 21st century IG instant gratification bullshit? Literally. Um, and that's, yeah, that's the distinction you have to make in yourself. Absolutely. Um, and the, you know, I, some people probably aren't as naturally aware to their own minds as we are probably, I would venture to say. Like a lot of people may not even want to get that deep in their own heads. What do you think that is though? I mean, cause it could be kind of scary, low key. If you got some oh, shit, yeah. you know you're hiding. You know, like oh, I mean, yeah. it probably is a, a big pill to swallow. Sometimes, like, look yourself in the mirror and literally call yourself out on what you know deep, deep down is the root of your problem. <sighs> and if it's something you could change, but it ain't something that's easy to change. You know, it's probably easier to turn the light off, get out of the bathroom, don't look at that mirror no more, and keep going and filling that void with worthless information and, and bad choices and, and just superficial instant gratification, um, indulgences Absolutely. and activities exactly. and spending all your money to, let's just say, celebrate on the weekend rather than saving your money so you can celebrate for life. Right. Man, we weren't, I mean, the fucked up part, man, is we weren't directed in this society to have that because I think we don't have those structures in place. Yeah, to the same degree. To the same degree. And with the culmination of like no one probably foresaw the internet and social media doing it and and the way it's been monetized and everything doesn't help at all. What I don't get is how we worship celebrities and not scientists. Yeah, because back in the day, the scientists, philosophers, I mean, they were the ones being worshipped. I mean, Shakespeare's probably like the closest thing to a celebrity that's been that famous. I'll be honest with you. There were technically rock stars in the Roman empire. I'm sure there was. was was (laughs) Nah, he wasn't a jester. He was an actual opera singer, I think, but he was like an entertainer. Mm -hmm. He was considered like the Michael Jackson of the Roman empire. Uh, But I wonder to what degree he was celebrated in, in regards to Augustus's celebration, right? One's the fear is better to be loved or fear. Like the, the entertainer they love for the entertainment factor. Augustus, they didn't really get a choice. Like love him or hate him. You gotta you gotta do what he says. You know what I mean? Do you know where the quote it's better to be feared than loved came from? 
originally, I mean, I always think of Bronx Tale, the movie. I know that's uh, not that's original, <laughs> but I mean, that's what always comes to my mind is that question he asked uh, Chas Palminteri. Yeah. Nicola Machia- Machiavelli. Machiavelli. And his The Prince. That's right. In the Prince. Yes, that's, what, that's right. Because what that I knew was, that. it was a manuscript for how a prince should, should run act. his kingdom and should act. And it was almost a... Uh, backwards slap at how those princes acted which is corrupt corrupt and acting with uh fear instead of love sure which makes sense but the fear and love thing i mean yeah that has religious implications even you fear god because you're supposed to love god but like you're supposed to fear him you have to fear him first right you have to maintain a humble fear that's why when isaiah that's why when any prophet in the bible visits god they it always says they cover their eyes and they bow their head because they're not allowed to see god Mm. And they're literally supposed to like be so fearful and humble that they, they wouldn't even look, look at him. Yeah. Right? And that's the same reason with like eye contact in certain cultures and shit. why you shouldn't stare at the sun. That's why in the Bible, though, they say like if you hear the voice of God, your head will explode because your head can't handle all that. All that. They can't yeah. fathom it. Yeah. Dude, but what's amazing is you have certain things in the Bible like, like when Moses made the Exodus and when he came down from the mountain, from Mount Sinai, and he saw that these people were worshiping an idol image through the golden calf. It wasn't like the people were worshiping the calf or the bull. It was just, especially juxtaposing it to them leaving Egypt. It was the people at the time before Judaism or before the Abrahamic tradition, Mm -hmm. before Moses's Exodus, essentially people needed something physical to understand God. So they needed storms and they needed floods and they needed yeah they needed whatever they could see and that's why the that's why during uh samuel the people wanted a king that they could see because they couldn't fathom there being a king they couldn't see so what moses did is he was and what the allegory of him coming down with the ten commandments is supposed to entail is the symbolism of what to worship is the symbolism of of what to worship which is a god you can't see or even fathom but you can see his wishes right here on these stone tablets. Yeah. And that, that's the, cl- it's close right. enough for right. them. It gives them enough. What's hilarious is there's a tradition though, where some people say it's, he wasn't actually giving it to it on stone tablets that certain Jewish traditions say that legit, it was the oral tradition of God passing it down through him, hearing it and then him orating it. But then the writing of it down was the introduction whenever documentation finally came around, whenever gotcha. they actually started writing shit, which was around like 2000 BCE, which was also around the time Abraham supposedly left the city of Ur, which was a Sumerian city, the city of the moon god. Uh-huh. So he was leaving this moon god they were worshiping. Again, they were worshiping the moon. Right. And then a god who was unseen told him to go to, Can- go to Canaan, to go to the Holy Land, to find essentially the holy city and shit. Then he ended up going to Egypt, and that's again he sees idol imagery, everything else. But the beautiful, the, the beautiful allegory of Moses and the Exodus of Moses, especially whenever he reveals the commandments of God at Mount Sinai, uh, whenever he witnesses his people worshiping an idol bull, was the stark contrast of people who worshipped or needed to have something physical to prove and substantiate their faith versus those who knew, though they couldn't see their God their faith prevailed in that worship of that unseen God. Right. And a lot of the shit you're talking about is legit having a fear of something unseen rather than a blind love for something unseen. Because when it comes to survival, what's going to actually get you over 
is maintaining a humble fear, not a naive love. Love, yeah, you can't love every little animal like it's a bunny rabbit in the woods on survival, you know, like to that literal Bro, of that's extent. why relationships are so fucked up nowadays, though. Is people think it's this Disney fairy tale of love and happily ever after. No, relationship and marriage is about duty. Originally, yeah, I mean, it's about, it wasn't even a choice for like. I mean, my my mom's grandparents were an arranged marriage; like, they dude, didn't have a choice. Dude. There was no if fans or if she was thirteen years old, you're gonna marry him, and that's how that's gonna be. There's no pro, you know. So, but how many people do you think have that intimate understanding, like you do in your family? Let alone, how many people have that? And our age, probably not. Like, because you 20%. have that in your family, you have that knowledge still in your family, which allows you to have a deeper appreciation, not only on an epigenetic level, but just on a rational level. Absolutely, um, I think. Yeah, like again, when children are raising children three generations back now, it's 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 getting lost right. very quickly. Yeah, man, like you can even empathize with a couple generations back the actual dutiful aspect of what a relationship was, not this, not this uh recency bias bullshit Disney fairy tale that we've been spoon-fed for a couple generations. Sure. Absolutely. Yeah, because it's about duty. It's about when you have a child, you and I don't even matter at this point, as in the parent, the mother, and the father. It's about, oh, it, it's about how we raise this child going forward. Time full circle to you saying, why well, you're blessed to have had parents that were a little bit older when they had you, so they had at least got all their shit out the way and were mature enough Wisdom, to raise yeah, children. Absolutely. Same with my parents. My dad was, I think, 38 when he had me. Mm-hmm. My mom was like 35. My mom was like 31 or 32. My dad was like 40 or 41 whatever right. yeah man another thing like with the catholicism like especially back at least when i was little and before i was born and it was even stricter like there was no divorcing in the catholic church right. you get married and you get to i mean to get a divorce in the catholic church it had to be a real bad deal for a thought for a priest to actually okay that Dude, it got so bad that a king had to create his own church in king henry just to get out of his marriage, <laughs> just to get out of his marriage. <laughs> they were like i don't give a fuck if you're king you're not divorcing. But yeah, I mean, I think that's something big playing on how people behave in society now and how these kids are being raised, along with a lack of like community uh, because of because it's a social community. And there's ironically a very big lack of social skills involved with it because mm-hmm. it's all digital. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas like my dad and even we grew up still playing ball with our friends in the neighborhood. Having to go run, knock on your neighbor's bikes, door. Knock on your buddy's door. Can, call the, can Donacy come out Even and play? call the house phone and have to deal with answer, their parents answering first. Like even like things like that. Kids today are like, they would be terrified to talk to you. Like, you know what I mean? Like, and that's just like, that's only like a 10 year gap of time where that's changed. Right. So I think we're going to see. Uh, it's going to, I don't know how it's going to play out, but we'll, we will see something, uh, where that collides, where there's just going to be a barrier of like communication in the physical realm. A, uh, a byproduct of all of the things you're talking about is the result of our society becoming more sociopathic. Essentially. Yeah. Dude, we, and again, I wrote this, I write this towards the tail end of chapter one of how we fail and why we've pretty much gotten to this point is because. We will nearly dilute our dude. I even have it. Ooh, let me just pull it up because I have. Oh, where is it at? So here's what I say I say, and social media doesn't help, for we've been plagued with the expectations of instant gratification. For there are far too many distractions that prevent us from indulging any iota of introspective thought. And social media doesn't help. In fact, social media both exacerbates and contributes to the plight of instant gratification. 
out of thousands of pictures will choose the best one and act as though that personified perfection is actually indicative of who we are to such a degree that we believe our own hype. Absolutely. To such a degree that we delude ourselves into substantiating this aura of personified perfection in all of our endeavors. To such a degree that we, whether knowingly or not, project our personified perfection onto the real world and maintain paralleled expectation to the false reality that's been created in a false reality. As a result, we allow others the instant gratification of seeing who we are, who we are pretending to be, without actually taking the time to actually get to know each other. Absolutely. Because that takes too much time, and that would be delaying our gratification. Right. And we do not have time for that in the 21st century. He's got time for that. He's got time to you know indulge in some good content. <laughs> the worst part of social media's false personified perfection lies with the Pavlovian conditioning of likes, comments, and praise in replacement of self-love, commitment, and provision. You're just making an alliteration book. <laughs> <laughs> to such a degree that we believe our own hype. That's what it's designed to do. I mean, yeah, you start picking out these pictures and then you make your whole profile of like who you want to be in your head or who you think right. the girls are going to like or the guys are going to want. And and then you delude yourself into thinking that's who you actually yeah, are. Yeah, you, you really cut off all the, you know, the extra in-depth introspective parts about yourself that you may have been in tune with. You start to slowly kind of cookie cutter your way into what Instagram wants to be what who you are on the gram and how others see you versus how you see and you talk to people like this out in public at the bar you meet a girl and then they don't have any substance to them there's nothing there you could talk that you couldn't even talk for 30 minutes without like she you know how many times does that happen Uh, it happens all the time I mean there's there's plenty of people guys and girls like that in our generation and that's something that I think is going to get worse and that's I agree I mean it's just going to take literally uh, people holding themselves accountable and craving that knowledge when it becomes finally too much for people or when I guess they're in their mid thirties and life's not going the way they Instagram thought it was going to be. Maybe then they'll start realizing right. their mistakes in their early twenties and what they should have done. But hmm. you know, it, by then who knows if it'll be falling on any ears or deaf ears or what. Yeah. That's why I will always make it a priority to live in truth to such a degree that The content we talk on here is no different than the content we talk outside of here. Absolutely. And as a result, it makes us talking about the content on here that much easier, not only to actually intentionally try to get out there, but to, uh, but to just intentionally share ideas and thoughts, like just have a genuinely good conversation because it's actually what we are genuinely wanting to dive into. It's not. We're not, we're not playing a role, uh, you know, here we're not, we're not pretending this is, this is the stage. We set a stage. Yes. For quality purposes, and, right. and, but there is no, uh, this is what it is. This is me and you talking like any other day in the last four years, man, five, six years. However, I mean, literally I told, I told Justin and a bunch of people, whenever they ask about the book in the monk days, I'm like, dude, I had one friend during that whole time. Mm-hmm. Like Donacy was literally my only friend for essentially three years. Like I didn't kick it. Like even up when you would drive up to Jewel, remember yeah. you jumped and we'd be kicking oh, in the yeah. parking lot. Yeah. Like even in those days when I was isolated from even everybody at Jewel. Yeah, even like J Rob, and then you barely just played like Rocket League. Right, so, yeah. We just play video games. I mean, and, that was it. Yeah. Right. They knew I would go down to the car, but like when I wasn't going down to the car by myself, I would go down to the car usually to meet up with you. Right. To think how far we've not only come from then, because that was still. We, those are still the fat days, right? That was right when I was like, yeah, right around. I was probably no, still fat. When Jewel, yeah, Jewel, I probably hadn't started yeah. working out or nothing, yeah. Because I, Yeah, because we went down to Springfield, well, was it Springfield or Columbia? 
when we, it was the video Columbia, of you dancing, bouncing. Yeah, Columbia, and I yeah. a video of you at, I think it was a Kiever's house, right? Yeah, yeah. Kiever's house. Yeah, it was like, yeah, it's like 20, 2016. Right, 2016, right bro. After, yeah, for, yeah. And then we would reference that video when I was in my monk days, whenever you started actually working out, transitioning your entire lifestyle. And we would reference that video of like, dude, remember when you used to look like this? Mm-hmm. And now it's just crazy, yeah. You're a whole new human, bro. Look at them arms popping out that shirt. Like, it's got to be, like, bro, people, I wish they knew. Like, you came from being the, let's just say the Jonah Hill of the party. Absolutely. And now you're walking around as, I would say, the Will Smith. Too now soon, you're walking, too, soon. Too, soon. too soon. Now you're walking around as legit like the Don. You're walking around like the Donacy. You've always probably envisioned yourself, if you were ever to envision yourself as a superhero, you're now actually wearing that cloak yourself. Yeah, basically. And it didn't start over, it, or it wasn't an overnight process. Far it did, from it. it. It didn't start with you uh, expecting the results to be instant. It started with one day. One day at a time. One day at a time. Absolutely. Um, and just, yeah, like that general, just literally wanting to be better. Wanting, wanting to, to wanting be better. Wanting more out of life. Wanting something. Because I had a, a void there after school, after high school. And I think it's like, man, like, you know, it's like, what's my purpose? And you're going through all your stuff. And, and all we were doing is talking about, like, all your thoughts on this monk stuff and then <laughs> religion. And, like, you got me, like, questioning, like, all my beliefs and everything. I didn't even, like, I was already questioning stuff. But you had me questioning, like, what's the point of all this? You're like, it's just going to be like it was before you were born. When you die, it just lights off. Like, well, what the fuck? Why am I following any rules for? And then I just go out and do whatever I want. And I had to battle with, like, figuring out, like, okay, well, you know, I could have a kid. That's me. We got to that level and, and seeing a value in the future and wanting to experience things and, and do things. And that's what it took for me anyway. But we grew together during those years tremendously. Tremendously, bro. Like, I don't know how much of my sanity I could have maintained if I didn't have a grounded source who was still in the world. I mean, your parent, your dad and brothers had to thank you off your rocker. What was dope is legit though. My dad was a, um, he was the, he was another extension of what you provided because he had just moved back into, I was standing in my mom's basement. Yeah. For three years and like a year and a half, two years in is when my dad moved in with us. And when he moved in with us, when my mom was at work, I would be usually at home by myself all day. But whenever he moved in, I would be at home and I knew he was upstairs. Mm-hmm. So I would be able to, the same way I would decompress all this, just I would just vomit all this knowledge onto you. Be like, does this make sense? Mm-hmm. And if it did make sense, I would be able to go back and recalibrate. He was a source of even more explicit discrimination against what didn't make because sense. Because he's even older and wiser and has heard a lot of more, has heard way more things like this before and and and. Yeah, I, so like he'll tell me if I was saying some insane shit. Sure, he'll tell me he if I was rambling. He ain't gonna sure But to be able to win him over, and then to have that confidence when relaying the information to you, yeah, was just constant practice sharpening my sword to where when I actually went out went into on the those world, interviews and went out yeah, and did that radio tour, you were very well versed on the questions you were going to be asked. You kind of. Yeah, so, okay, I guess we'll do it. We'll hop into the clickbait. All right, well, yeah, indulge. What did you think about the Will Smith situation? I found it completely bizarre, honestly, from like, at first I thought it was staged uh, because like, I mean, who, since when does actors ever like gone fisticuffs at the Oscars? At or, what point did you know it was real? 
the next day, I guess, really, or I guess, I mean, I, I didn't really watch it all the way through and hear like Will Smith's like apology till the next day when I indulged on social media and got all the right, clips right. and jokes and everything. I mean, Chris Rock, like it surprised me. He didn't swing back or like there was no security that came up. It was just, that was the bizarre part. Like if it was real, you know, any other concert celebrity or not, someone runs up the stage and swings. Like, how's this guy going to get allowed? To, <laughs> I don't care if it's Will Smith or not. I walk, just walks back to the seat. Right. And the joke itself wasn't, I mean, it, a lot more controversial things have been said about people. And, and I think even you could see Will laughing initially and it's like no, Jada had an issue with yeah. it. First of all, they're not even sitting next to each other. They have an open relationship. Like that's been the joke forever. Like the they, relationship is as open as the space between their chairs and when they're sitting there. I mean, I'm surprised they didn't have other dates with each other. Literally. Literally. Right. So like to see him like, you know, change his tune from a sm- like a laughing G.I. Jane joke to you know, keep my wife's name out your fucking mouth. That's like, when I knew it was that's when I knew it was real. Right. His you could face, see his quivering lip. Like, you could see his actual how much volatile emotion was in his like response after he sat down. That's when I was like, damn. But then, I mean, you ever seen the pursuit of happiness, dog? I mean, he kills him and he cries. Really, I mean, that dude sells that. He could sell you anything. I don't know. But But that, no, but the the slap, I mean, the slap, that's what. Well, how about this? Chris Rock's response, honestly, when he went, oh, I could. uh, Ah, yeah. Well, crazy's night. Yeah, there you guys go. (laughs) That professionalism also, and how he was acting afterwards, kind of just like still in shock also kind of solidified to me the realness of it, the authenticity of it. But at the end of the day, this is something I was talking to one of my clients today about. Because my boy Jazz, we talk a lot about, like he understands how I don't belong to team black or team white because I'm too black for the whites and too white for the blacks, right? Like (laughs) Mm -hmm. straight up. Right. But I intimately empathize and understand the woes of the black community through my own experiences, let alone through specific rationalities I can make from not only my ancestors' experiences, but from what I can still see nowadays. Though racism and discrimination is nowhere near as rampant nowadays than our ancestors had to experience, which is what people have to understand fundamentally. Yeah, absolutely. But what I was talking to Jazz about is, I. it's funny, his name's Jazz, DJ Jazzy Jeff, right? <laughs> Get jiggy with it. Right. Nah, 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 nah. We were talking about how well, I, t- I made a comment how how ironic of a microcosm that entire scene was for the entire woes of the black community, especially what's going on in places like downtown Chicago, where this honor culture of, oh, you dissed me, so I'm going to respond with violence. Murder, shooting, yeah. And what Will Smith did was a microcosm of what people experience every day in honor cultures, especially the black community, where it's, oh, you dissed me and my people, so I'm going to retaliate with violence. Mm -hmm. What I don't like is how Will, again, it's hilarious because like Jada's a street girl, is dating Tupac and all this shit, and Mm -hmm. then Will ends up dating her for the street cred and all this shit. So when she actually feels some type of street way about it, Will then has to adopt her. that same, her same sort of mindset on it, where he was otherwise laughing at first. Now he's having natural to adopt reaction, yeah. his natural versus his adopted reaction. He's now having to go up there and do what? Display actions and characteristics no different than the very problems that plague the black community in the 21st century. Sure. And that plagued most poverty communities in yeah, the last hundred years. I mean, well, any again, immigrants. And, but it, yeah. it goes back to what we talked about, about 
it's not necessarily the black community. It's impoverished communities. Exactly. And it's right now, that's where, you know, right there's, now it's there's just, still more white poverty, probably number because there's more, because you know, there's more white people. Right. right. But I mean, yeah. but it's, you can go into the rural South, you can go into rural Alabama and see white motherfuckers acting the, ex- which is the cracker culture, redneck culture, acting the exact ways as black in the inner cities. If not worse. What's hilarious is even down to the actual vernacular, even down to the actual jargon and the words used. For example, a rural white man, a redneck in the South in the 1800s, instead of using a word like ask, will literally say axe. Axe, yeah. Instead of saying the N-word with the hard rhotic E-R at the end, they say it with the non-rhotic A-H at the end. No different than who? British people, because when they say water, water, yeah, fire, yeah, nigga, yeah, see what I'm saying? That's why yeah, that's like, the su- same exact vernacular, why, yeah. That's why southern slave owners didn't call them hard ERs. That's why people in Boston and the East Coast don't have ERs at the end of a lot of their words, yeah. The haba, the haba, cocky, give me the cockies, yeah, water. all that stuff is because there's a non-rhotic nature to the language that's ancestrally reminiscent of how the British talked when they came over here in the first place. That's crazy. And it was like, those were high class British at the time when those ideals were the high class of British, but then they got, yeah. But it got watered down to where only this poor, poor Southern, which once slaves were free, they adopted what culture? The only one they knew. Exactly. That impoverished redneck culture. And what's hilarious is if you look at lynchings and if you look at, like, bro, think about it. A slave owner isn't going to want their slave lynched because that's money they're losing. Yeah. So what's, what's ironic is lynchings, for the most part, until the Emancipation Proclamation, were mostly done to whites, especially redneck whites, but as a mode of discipline and, um, and um, rule of law. Gotcha. Yeah, that's like a punishment for breaking rules. Literally. Right. So lynching as a racial discrimin- discriminatory act wasn't even a thing. Until Freeman. Until they were free, yeah. Literally, until the post-emancipation proclamation. Because now, yeah, now if we don't own you, then we can, I mean, we don't have Yeah, now value. you don't have value yeah. to us, right? right? Because if they own you, they're not going to let just some random motherfucker lynch you because that's money they're yeah, losing. Yeah. Where do you think the burning cross came from? Ancient. I mean, it came from ancient Scottish motherfuckers. What they would do when they would talk, they dress similar to and everything. What they, well, the KKK like dressing of the hood and all that shit. There, you. It's well, a that goes a Catholic. Story. It goes. There's right. a lot of parallels. there's a lot yeah. of influences to that. But okay. the, I just want to talk about the specific burning of the cross. It's like, it's not that they would put it on. They would specifically discriminate against blacks putting burning crosses on their lawns and shit. It was an act that the ancient Celtic. Scottish motherfuckers did when they would talk shit to their enemy. They'd pretty much be like, oh, fuck your enemy. I'm going to lay this burning cross on your fucking property because fuck you, mate. Yeah. Like, that's what they did, right? Yeah. Like, it was an ancient Scottish thing. Just like the redneck culture is like an ancient, technically Scottish, but just Northern British thing. Yeah. And it isn't until centuries go by when they migrate over here, when they emigrate over here, and then they finally establish the culture here, and then it's established for centuries where it then gets adopted as an impoverished culture, and then once the Emancipation Proclamation happens, it's then adopted by those who are impoverished, which are those new emancipated slaves. It's systematic. There it is. So the Will Smith shit, what's funny is we talked about it on some clickbait shit, but we end up getting on some deep shit. Of course. Is the Will Smith whole situation makes the black community look it is is very reminiscent and very 
a mirror being held up in terms of the disgrace it gives the black community, no different than the black on black crime killings that happens every single day. Me and my homie Jazz talk about how it just makes the black community look so foolish. And it's a microcosm of what foolishness we experience every day through the lingering residual ghettoization and bullshit that still plagues our communities in the inner city. Absolutely. This honor culture bullshit that, guess what? Me being mixed, every time I went hooped in the city, I was called white boy and let's guard that white boy. And I was never good enough because I wasn't black enough, right? But when I went into fucking highfalutin AAU tournaments in Blue Springs and shit. You're the ghetto one. I'm the ghetto one. I'm the black kid who has handles and shit, right? Right. So it's like, at the end of the day, the discrimination is least of our worries and it's more about the culture that surrounds the discrimination. For sure. And at least we're starting to get there just with the democratization of knowledge that we've been talking about, Mm -hmm. that everybody can experience everybody's culture near instantly with the internet. Correct. And there's still like, there's a balance to the way of using that democratization of information the right way to, to make that better. And then the way it's being used to manipulate people into getting further into ignorance as well. Like, like the clickbaity Will Smith. I mean, that's all definitely. Yeah. I could see how that's a microcosm of all that. I was thinking like Will Smith did play Muhammad Ali. So there's a level of like his form looked good, bro. Like he had some rotation in his hips, you know? (laughs) That's awesome. (laughs) That's good, man. You want to talk about anything else? Uh, I'm good. I feel like we talked pretty good, right? All right. This episode is brought to you by Manscaped.com. Support for self-sustained training is brought to you by the best in men's below-the-waist grooming. Manscaped just launched their fourth-generation trimmer, the Lawnmower 4.0. You heard that right, the 4.0. Join the 4 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped with this exclusive offer for you. 20% 20% off and free shipping worldwide with code SST at manscaped.com. Yeah, shout out to Manscaped, man. They were nice enough to send us this performance package 4.0, which is their luxury grooming kit. And it comes with the Lawnmower 4.0 electric trimmer, the weed whacker for your ear and your nose hairs, and then all your post shave performance essentials in the deodorant and the toner. Plus, they give you an anti-chafing boxer, which is super comfortable. Super comfortable. And then they top off the performance package with a nice little travel bag so you can carry all of your grooming tools with you. And you can get 20% off and free shipping with code SST at manscaped.com. That's 20% off using code SST at manscaped.com. Unlock your confidence and always use the right tools with the job using Manscaped.